0: Join us for this episode of Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, John Chaust and Brian Cunningham.
1: Hi everybody, I'm John Chaust. And I am Brian Cunningham. And welcome as always to episode number 61. And today, because of the listener who one of our reviewers wanted to learn more about Purple Martins, we're going to pursue the Purple Martin today on this episode.
0: Yes, John, talking Purple Martins, lots of fun. We get questions all the time. Should you be a Purple Martin landlord? Hey, we'll talk about that. But also, not all Martins are the same across North America. And we'll touch on dispelling some myths about the Martins, to include maybe insects. And did you know that weather can really affect the Purple Martins as well. So we'll jump in
1: and get lots of information for you today. Yeah, one of our favorite things to do, hey, Brian, the spelling myths. Yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of them when it comes to the Purple Martin.
0: So stick around for the fun, everyone.
1: Okay, Brian. Purple Martins, I can't wait. I'm excited. We haven't talked about Purple Martins and all. We've been doing this podcast for a little over two years now. Yeah. And I don't know we've ever talked about Purple Martins, so I can't wait to talk about those and, and give people you know, who are looking to pursue or pursuing the Purple Martin to you know, maybe learn a little bit and resources that they can go to to really become experts on what they need to do or at least learn about what they need to do to, to yes. get them in their backyards or wherever else they may want them. But in the meantime, as always, <laughs> we're in the, the throes of late summer already. Mm-hmm. Amazing to me. My mind is blown by the fact that we're already this late in the calendar and summer is on the way down. Uh, but what's going on? Lots of, lots of things, I would imagine, in your backyard. Oh, yes. Lots of things in the backyard.
0: Um, the highlight uh, just recently, though, was I uh, <laughs> looked in the backyard and there is a juvenile red-tailed hawk sitting on the back patio. And there's something sticking out from underneath it, which happened to be a couple of little legs. I was glad it wasn't a little bird. <laughs> it it got an adult rabbit Whoa. in our yard. Yeah, the little nice. guy learned quick, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, mom and yeah. dad taught him well, apparently. And I didn't even realize we had adult rabbits around our yard anymore. (laughs) My wife was like, they're living over there around the corner. You know, hmm, apparently I wasn't paying attention to the whole yard. I just keep getting bird focused or something. That's because your life doesn't (laughs) depend on
1: catching them, right? Uh (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) But it was fascinating to watch. Uh, And that bird hung around for about three hours. So it was not in a rush to eat his meal or her meal. And so it just, it, it bounced around in the yard a little bit, kind of the the open patio seating, if you will, uh, <laughs> sat through a rainstorm <laughs> and was like, I am not leaving this meal until I'm done. Uh, so that's it was really ride. fun to watch just nature in process. It's not always pretty, but everyone's got to eat, right? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So well, what's always- happening in your yard? As <laughs> we've always said, the food chain is not a pretty sight. <laughs> But, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, lots, lots of things. I've, I just my wife and I this morning were just watching. I've got a, a, a little, a little group. I assume it's a adult Carolina wrens with a couple of youngsters, cool. uh, and, and they get up underneath our. You know, we have this patio deck on the back of the house, and we've got the patio furniture on it and that type the table and the chairs and stuff. And they love to get underneath that. And work underneath the chairs and find all the little critters that might be living in the backside of the chair or under the chair or under the table, mm-hmm. and they literally for probably ten minutes today, were just hopping around and running around, grabbing a little insect here, a little insect there. Boy, you talk! I honestly, it was really cool and one of my favorite birds to be honest with you. And then to to watch them interact and and just just the the energy of running around and hopping around and you know getting these insects that was. That was a great way to spend a couple of 10 minutes, you know? Oh, for sure. That
0: well, that's one of the benefits of summer bird feeding, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're still hanging around and they're not necessarily feeding on foods you're providing. But you talk about native plants and having all those native insects. That's a huge scenario for attracting birds because, as we've talked about in previous episodes, birds love to feed on all those caterpillars.
1: Okay, Purple Martins, Brian. Let's talk Purple Martins. How cool is that? Yeah, Yeah. I just like, you know, first of all, Purple Martins. If you just think of, uh, if you're familiar with like Chimney Swifts that fly around in the sky or Tree Swallows or Barn Swallows, just think bigger. (laughs) They're, They're much bigger. Uh, Variety of colorations. The adults are totally dark. They're the only, uh, as an adult, they're all adult males, the only one that has a totally black belly. And I say black. You say Purple Martin. They're actually kind of black with this iridescent that makes them look purple. But I think technically they're actually black. But we do call them purple because of the iridescence. But I would be remiss, and right off the bat, one of my favorite things about Purple Martins And if you live near a purple martin colony or you you know you have a park that has purple martin houses or wherever you might find purple martins you know Mm -hmm. it immediately because the cacophony of their calling they have this just wonderful bubbly I, I'm not sure. Maybe you can describe it better, but just I was a,
0: trying to think about that too. It, it's like a bubbly chittering.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: and almost or musical, but not quite.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know it immediately, and once you, it's once you, yeah, once you know that call, uh, you'll you'll hear them, and, and if you have a call near, near nearby, it's almost constant throughout the day. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's just uh, you know, I'm sure. Uh, You know, people would once you once you have that, it's just something that you would miss if it wasn't there.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, okay. so here it is. We're getting to the end of summer. Why are we talking purple Martins? They nest in the spring. Then they leave the they leave the nest boxes and then they go into their roosting and hang out. And it's like, well, I can't do anything about it now. But hey, now is the perfect time to start planning for next year. And if you're gonna become a purple martin landlord, get your boxes ready, get them installed, because when they start coming back, I mean, they're coming back pretty early, and especially depending on where you live. And if you're in a northern area where that ground freezes, uh, you're gonna want to get your purple martin boxes in the ground this, you know, late summer or this fall, so that you're ready for them when they return next year.
1: Absolutely, and and you know, it's it. Yeah, Grant, I'm glad you brought that up, Brian, because it really is like, why are we talking about this? But it really does make perfect sense to, to do your prep work now and be ready for them because they do come back pretty early. I mean, it ranges right. depending on, you know, first of all, they leave North America for the most part to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, spend the winter down in, uh, well, one of the cool things that they've come up with in recent years Is it along the Amazon basin? They they had no idea that these things, they just assumed that they went to urban areas and and suburban, like, you know, mostly inhabit here. Uh, But they found out through tagging that they are actually spending, a large number of them actually spend their winter along the Amazon basin. Yeah, Brazil and Bolivia. yeah. Yeah. Predominantly. Yeah. Yeah. They come back in the in the spring, and they come back very early in some cases. So you can get them into Florida and the, some of the coastal states in, in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically here, mid-range, like Indiana, Ohio, you're looking at somewhere between the last couple of weeks of March, probably, give or take. Yep. And you're all the way to the 1st of May by the time you get up into southern Canada. So quite mm-hmm. a range of their return but you want to be ready for them and, and anticipate that. So now is the time to get everything done. Yeah.
0: Yep. And and it's interesting, too. Uh, purple martins across North America uh, can be a little different in, yeah. in their nesting. Because you can find <laughs> a lot of them um, across North America. But the eastern population versus the western population, the eastern actually really enjoy using man-made nest boxes almost to the point where they actually rely on them. Yeah. Uh, They're just so few natural cavities in the Eastern part of the U S we, we've over time and development, we've taken all the cavities away. They use boxes in the Eastern mm-hmm. part of the U S mm-hmm. but the Western population, they find all the natural cavities. And pretty much if you're going to try to be a landlord for purple Martins in the West, your best bet is actually using a single box or a mm-hmm. single gourd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of setting up a basically an apartment uh, of of boxes or an apartment of gourds. Right. So very different tactics that the birds are utilizing. It's yeah. it's fascinating how different it is.
1: Yeah. One of, the, one of the coolest things, the exception to the rule here in the East, one of the coolest things uh, I, I had a chance to spend quite a bit of time in arkansas uh by Mm -hmm. cache river white river area uh many years ago and and for multiple years and uh that is an area you know paddling through swampland you know big huge uh swamps and these monarch you know old uh, trees that are in the swamps and a lot of those have big cavities you know big openings mm-hmm. and that was the one place in the eastern part of the united states that i personally have seen purple martins actually using those trees oh, sweet. to nest in yeah so how cool was that well, that's, that's, they...
0: that's what they used to do when we had yeah. the habitat yeah. and the big yeah. old trees and you'd get those broken off parts of but this yeah. tree's still alive and yeah. you, they could nest in cavities and oh yeah that's cool i yeah, that the... got to see that
1: yeah, the big old ball cypress trees especially were the ones that they were using, which is really cool. Yeah, it's the only time I, I think I can only remember that that's the only time I've ever seen them in a natural setting like that.
0: Well, and I bet you were not in that swamp at that good,
1: perfect you know,
0: springtime with mosquitoes galore, right?
1: No, we were actually any time <laughs> from uh, you know, uh, March through early May is typically when we were down there, so it would have been prime time. Perfect. Well, yeah. you know, one of those myths about martins is they eat tons of mosquitoes. are <laughs> right. <laughs> I when I was a natural, I remember. I, I feel so bad now at this point. I, you know, I've been doing this forever, and I was a naturalist in state parks and other nature centers back in the early '80s, and and we used to use that line all the time. Oh yeah, you want purple martins because they eat thousands of mosquitoes, and right. oops, not so much. <laughs> Well, you think about,
0: okay, so Martins, where do they fly and feed on insects? You know, they're way up in the sky. I mean, you're talking generally 150 to 500 feet. And mosquitoes, where do they fly? (laughs) They're usually down low where all the mammals are, where all of us, so they can feed on us. (laughs) Yeah. So not not quite the same elevation uh, scenario
1: there. And when are the mosquitoes most active? Yeah. Evenings and nighttime, yeah. yeah, yeah. When, when the purple martins aren't out there flying, <laughs> you know, they don't. They're in they bed. Don't, yeah, that's right. They don't. They don't interact. And if we just, I guess if I had just thought about that in the early, early days, uh, I would right. realize. But that was the big hype. That was the big yeah. thing. That was your natural pest control. You know, attract purple mm-hmm. martins because they'll keep your mosquitoes under control.
0: Yeah, and and. and to be, to be true and, and fair in all of this, they do eat some mosquitoes because there's mm-hmm. a slight overlap, mornings and evenings kind of thing. But, yeah, it is not a boon kind of food scenario. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it, a little bit.
1: but Just a small I, percentage, I, yeah.
0: I've been pretty fascinated that uh, what else Martins eat, which is pretty cool. When you mm-hmm. think about, they do eat a lot of insects because they are what the, what we call those aerial insectivores they catch their food on the wing while they're flying around and and amazing little hunters like little jet fighters that are almost <laughs> like uh drones that can just turn on a dime now and just <laughs> yeah catch their food but bees and wasps and beetles and different even flying ants
1: yeah i didn't know yeah. flying
0: ants flew yeah. that high
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a whole group of swallows and swifts and things that do this for a living. And there, of the populations of birds, we know you know, from the studies and reports of the last three to four years that our bird populations in general are in pretty serious decline. Right. Uh, and the biggest decline, I think, in, in most of the bird types of species has been those aerial insectivores, and a lot of people are attributing that to the fact that our insect population is in major decline, and again for a lot of different reasons, whether it's loss of habitat, uh, pesticides, whatever it may be, but there's a real concern that the big reason for the decline in our aerial insectivores, our swifts, our swallows, et cetera, et cetera, uh, are due to the fact that the insect population has really yeah. taken it on the chin and. And again, that's another reason that you and I and so many other people are pushing planting natives and get those natural plants out there that increase the insect population that then puts the food up in the air for these birds to feed on. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but one one of the things I think we need to, to... and again, if people are thinking about becoming a Purple Martin landlord, need mm-hmm. to be aware of the, of the different factors that influence their success rate. And one of the things that we're seeing now, too, is that with with climate change and with extreme weather situations, and that's both warm weather and also cold weather. We, we, yes. we get colder springs and wetter springs uh, certain years than maybe we traditionally got. And that's really tough on purple Martins.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, having a box does help them because um, they can get into cavities. And it's really cool that they'll um, nest together. You can uh, when you think about a purple Martin house and the different cavities or purple Martin gourds. Uh, when you get in a cool, nasty weather time that can last lots of rain for a few days or a cold snap, um they, you can get up to ten martins in one of those little cavities, huddled together mm-hmm. to stay warm together. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm like, ten? That's,
1: yeah, that's, yeah. Think about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a small
1: cavity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's really the, 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 what you have to understand is for these birds, you know, to go three or four days without food is pretty much. Mm-hmm. The end of it. I mean, they yeah, they, they rain. and and you could get a cold spell and a rainy spell. Insects don't fly, you know, much below fifty degrees, give or take, and so they're not out there as a food source. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, they don't fly. Insects don't fly typically. A lot of them in the rain. Uh, so it's just, it's just a challenge when you get these extreme, wet, cold, damp uh, springs and they're already back in the nesting colony and they're sitting on eggs or they're getting ready to nest. Uh, sometimes it's a real challenge for them to find the food. Yeah. Now, one of the things we haven't mentioned yet is our Purple Martin Conservation Association, mm-hmm. which is a website that we're going to put onto our uh, show notes. Uh, these folks have it down. They have tremendous resources and information. And one of the things that they have on that uh, is, you know, if you get in that situation, you can actually try to supplement their diets, the Purple Martins, with things like mealworms. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully, you know, uh, give them that little extra boost they need to make it through that kind of bad weather. So, yep. again, we'll have all that information on our, uh, our show notes page.
0: Yeah, I've heard of all sorts of stories, people doing that mealworms and sometimes cooked eggs and
1: yeah, 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 and, yeah.
0: And throwing them up into the air for the <laughs> Purple Martins. <laughs> what a, what did, a neat did, thing to do it, and see, but no, I'm helping them in this really dire time. <laughs>
1: am I imagining things or did, was there a product years ago where somebody actually kind of made it like a slingshot? To shoot mealworms up in the...
0: (laughs) You know what? That actually sounds kind of familiar. I think many years ago, somebody came out
1: with a slingshot. Yeah. We need to bring that back. Maybe we can (laughs) train some backyard birds as well. (laughs) We've been around this too long, Brian.
0: (laughs) All the fun we could come up with. Yes. That's right.
1: (laughs) Well, very cool. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what what do we do to attract these birds and what do we need to think about when it comes to housing these birds? What kind of yeah. specs do we look for in a good nesting box or uh, gourds or whatever it might be? Yeah, placement of
0: whatever that purple martin housing is going to be, they actually really do like to nest nearby human structures, which that's fascinating in and of itself. But you think about you go about 30 to 120 feet. I think John, you were saying it's about 60 feet. We're finding is pretty typical to put a, yep. a purple martin house. Uh, so about 60 feet away from human structures, you know, your house or barns or th- something like that. Um, you also want to be able to put that box so it's up in the air. Um, if you can get that up 10, 20 feet high, and yep. there are there are poles that allow you to do that. But one of the tricks, the keys to it is that pole, you need to be able to bring that box down and raise it back up very easily. And there are some great poles out there that allow you to do that because you need to be able to manage who's nesting in there and be able to clean it out at the end of the season. And you don't want it to be a chore. It needs to be really easy to do. Um, so yeah. What else about that habitat?
1: Well, again, I think you know. Bottom line is trees. I think you know mm-hmm. a lot of people think, well, I've got this little opening out here in my front yard, and you know I've got some trees around, and, but that's plenty. But no, actually, you need a pretty good spacing. I think recommendations are typically at least forty feet away from any taller tree. The trees that would be taller than the than the box. Yes. So have to yeah. Have yeah. Have think about a- runway. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: They w- they want that that
1: runway yeah. as they're coming in or departing. So yeah, yeah that's a good point. So that, that's a, and sometimes that's a hard, I, I, uh, had a friend that wanted me to come out and, and, uh, you know, they wanted really wanting to put a purple Martin box in their, in their backyard, but they just didn't have the space, but they mm-hmm. had a pretty big piece of property and up their drive. And just before you, you got back out on the onto the road, they had a big field that was actually uh-huh. fairly close. And there was another structure that was within a hundred feet in that particular case. And, uh, they were very successful by putting it there instead of close to their house. I don't think they would have gotten purple Martins if they had put it close to their house just because all the tall trees that were nearby. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, and then not all Martins read the books, right? <laughs> <laughs> Cause uh, you know, there's always those exceptions to the rule, uh, at a, at a local park. Um, there's a fantastic, uh, well-established purple Martin colony and, um, at our Wild Birds Unlimited, our annual conference that we do, we set up another purple martin nest box. Um, that was actually—I don't even know how far away it was. It was significantly significant distance, quarter mile, half mile away. Right. But we followed all of the rules except for the human structure. <laughs> there was there was not a a barn or mm-hmm. a building or mm-hmm. something nearby. Right. Um, and. It took a few years, but mm-hmm. eventually they did start utilizing that nest box. Uh, so yeah, one, they don't all read the read the books. Yeah, but. yeah.
1: And and one of the things that we haven't talked about, and that that brought that to mind, that, that what the box you're talking about, Brian, and that is predator guard. I mean, one of the things yeah. that really is essential when you put up a nest box and pole system, it has to have something on it that will keep raccoons from being able to climb up mm-hmm. that pole and get into that nest box. So uh, a central element in any successful nesting uh, setup for purple martins is some type of reliable, and it's not just for raccoons, snakes. You'd be amazed at how (laughs) some of our snakes, uh, rat snakes and, and others who can, fox snakes that can climb poles amazingly well <laughs> they can climb like nobody's business <laughs> yeah and so uh you have to have the type of uh, baffle that keeps the snakes from being able to get around it so they they keep them out of the box too so yeah. that's a really important element and again uh the the website the purple martin conservation association has all the details that you would need uh you know in regards to all that type of setup so brian do you have a favorite uh, between you know the more traditional style of purple martin house are the, the gourds, the you know the artificial mm. plastic gourds that are uh, so popular these days?
0: That's a great question. I'm not sure I actually have a preference because I've seen both be very, very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the gourds look pretty cool actually. yeah I mean when, yeah. you, when you have a, uh, a setup, it's got a bunch of gourds all hanging off of it. Uh, and the Martins love it they love that. And it's lots of perching areas and they have their own individual little space, if you will, it's kind of these (laughs) little bungalows (laughs) versus kind of that apartment style where it's a house with lots of different uh, spaces within it. Uh, Those are just as successful. Uh, Mm -hmm. So now I don't really have a preference between either one. I think it's more aesthetics and sometimes it also is more about price You know, how much do these things cost? How much do you want to spend? Uh, But I think that the other potential benefit is if you do the gourds, or even if you do the house, you can always add more gourds to one of those. yeah, And and to expand the colony in a really easy way and add more nesting
1: spots. Yeah, that was going to be my comment. That that's that's why the gourds are my preference because you can ah. expand without having a whole. I mean, it's pretty much impossible to expand one of your nesting boxes. Uh, right, <laughs> you have to put a whole new one up basically, which is not a problem either. But <laughs> right, but the gourds you can add a couple more gourds and a couple more arms with the gourds hanging off of them with without a whole lot of problems. So that's a that's a cool benefit of those. Other birds. You, know, you occasionally get a bluebird that might move into one of these boxes, uh, but more problematic is house sparrows. If you have a good box, you shouldn't have too much trouble with starlings. Many of the older boxes, because of the size of the entry hole, uh, had a lot of problems with starlings, but the newer boxes and gourds have entry holes that are too small. They'll exclude the starlings but allow the Purple Martins to get entrance. But house sparrows, they're kind of a whole nother issue. You have to manage your colony if you have house sparrows. They can be very destructive to a Purple Martin colony. And uh, very quickly, it- and yes. very quickly, they can damage a lot of eggs, et cetera, et cetera, and, and do a lot of damage. And so absolutely one of the responsibilities that you would take on if you want to become a Purple Martin landlord would be to manage house sparrows that take up residence in your in your colony. So, and again, uh, lots of different techniques for doing that, excluding them, or well, not so much excluding them, but eliminating them, removing them, that type of thing. And, and that'll all be on those links that we've been talking about.
0: Well, John, lots of great information today about Purple Martins and knowing, man, centuries ago, the First Peoples, the Native Americans, they were putting up boxes for Martins. And Mm -hmm. even today, yeah, we know we've had a decline in the population overall, but we can be making a difference by how we pursue Purple Martins and putting up boxes, right?
1: Absolutely. Not only putting up boxes, but again, that all important uh, component of the native plants to provide the insect mass to to feed the purple martens to give them plenty of the feed on when they come back making sure the managing those boxes uh, the right way to keep the competition down uh, for those boxes absolutely if you're willing to to commit and you've got the right location to do it this is something you truly can do that will absolutely impact the population of purple martins so how cool yeah. is that
0: so whether you're putting up boxes you can still do native plants i love that and you know yeah. you're helping so appreciate everyone listening today. Hope you really learned some more things about pursuing Purple Martins and that you're going to be doing some things that can help the population overall. So please rate and review us. We'd love to hear what you think.
1: Yeah, and the whole reason we did Purple Martins today, Brian, as you well know, is because somebody reviewed us and said, hey, you guys ever going to talk about Purple Martins? And so that's right. We did it. We talked about Purple <laughs> Martins, and I think you and I had a lot of fun doing it. So next time, come back and join us. We're going to talk about survival. Strategy, but until that time, as always, Brian and I are going to continue to let nature be our guide. So please take care, be safe, and keep those feeders and nest boxes clean. Thanks for joining us, everyone.
0: To subscribe to the podcast, for show notes, or to find the Wild Birds Unlimited store near you, visit wbu.com/podcast. And we really appreciate you telling your friends about Nature Centered. But until next time, we hope you find a moment every day to relax and enjoy the birds.